Hi, and welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. Uh, we are back, and it's finally Test Match Rugby season for us here in the Southern Hemisphere. But more importantly, we got to see the Springboks again, which is the only thing that matters to, to all of us. Um, but yeah, I just want to welcome Jared. Jared, man, it's it's been ages. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm good, Sean. I'm good. It's uh, it's always great off uh, the week after a Springbok game, especially when it's a a big thumping victory like that. And uh, yeah, it's it's great to have Test Rugby back. That's that's I think we can all agree with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's like a, a couple of games, and but it just seems so much busier. I mean. You know, just before we jumped on air, um, you managed to finally, well, not finally, but you've put the finishing touches on the world famous gift drops. So for those that don't know, you must follow Jared Wright uh, on Twitter. Now I'm going to get your Twitter handle wrong. What is it? Rugby Mad. Yeah. It's, it's ZA. No, it's, it's, it's at uh, Jared Wright 17 on Twitter. Oh. Like, there we go. Thank goodness I didn't send out the <laughs> wrong one. Um, no. Yeah, if you follow, if you don't follow Jared, please follow him. Um, the Rugby Bits Twitter, we retweet him all the time. But more importantly, it's uh, the Monday after a test match and the gift shop comes out. Now, the gift shop's probably one of the most anticipated uh, threads in, in world rugby globally. <laughs> um, and uh, Jared just basically picks out the the awesome little bits and pieces of Test Match Rugby and puts it on on a feed. So, what is your was your what is your favorite part or your favorite gift that you got to put out in this feed today? I don't know. There's there, there's a, there's a few great ones in there. I, I, I like I love just watching um, Lukanya arm um, in slow motion and like He's that. That pass that he gave to Orenser for the third trial, like he he dummies and then like half a second later he's giving the ball. So that's that's up there with one of them. Um, and then uh, the one with the Zulu warrior where he's just about to go like full Hulk mode is another one. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty much going through it right now and I'm looking at them and I'm like, oh yeah, I like that one. I remember doing that <laughs> one. And uh, the, the, there's one where the Zulu warrior just about throws his spear at James Slipper. So I, th- oh, I no, thought I saw that was that. quite cool. <laughs> that, that one I shared during the game as well. But uh, yeah, and then, and then there's also so the fans ones. Um, I, I always like the fan one. Like there's there's one of that um, lady that looks so shocked at uh, shocked at one of the decisions. And yeah, <laughs> there's a few of guys uh, fist bumping and dancing. And so yeah, it's... I, I really enjoy going through the game like without having an analytical or like journalistic look at it and just yeah, yeah. posting all those all the fun stuff being a real real fan about it so so yeah that it, it's a hell of a lot of work but it's 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 good fun to do <laughs> well from all of us fans out there like please don't ever stop it's the best um yeah Lukanyam, that pass was was incredible just just want to say to the listeners like Jared literally posted this before we started recording. So I haven't even, ha- even had a chance to have a look at it. So I am pissed. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> from that, um, Jay into a book victory and something from my point of view, um, just not expected. But when I had a deeper look at it, I can see what happened and how it unraveled for Australia. But more importantly, mm. um, the result for the Springboks, like, where where does that, besides a difficult place, but where does that put the Springbok coaching setup and everything with where what what the plans are moving forward? Because so many guys really did put their hand up. Um, 
Where, where do you think it puts them? And more importantly, how do you think it's going to light a fire under the asses of the guys that are actually in New Zealand already? Yeah, well, I, I think the guys in New Zealand would have been watching that game and uh, yeah, they obviously would have been happy with their teammates' performance, but they would have immediately thought like, shit, my, my spot's really, really under the pump now. And uh, yeah, if, if you, it's a great headache to have for the Springbok uh, coaches or any coach when there's so much competition in the squad. And you just have to look at um, what happened right after the game. They named the squad, um, the traveling squad, and Rassi's quoted saying, um, we didn't uh, expect to take this many players with us. Um, and that's leaving after the after the initial guys. So I think they were, what they sent uh, 12 guys over um, initially before the Australia game. And I think they were going to take about 15 or 16. And then they ended up taking... Pretty much everyone that played on Saturday against Australia, plus Trevor Inakani, so and Herschel Yankee. So, yeah, I, it, I think it was massive, massive uh, boost for them, and the competition in the squad has just gone up uh, another level. Yeah, um, great point you make there in terms of uh, taking extra players, etc. There's a few guys that were left behind. I think one. I mean, we had interesting conversations through the season about Evan Ruiz. Um, one being him that was left behind, um, and the other uh, notable exclusion is Alton Yanchi. So, um, Tyler's just joined us, and we'll uh, I'll finish wrap up with this, and then Tyler's gonna 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 carry on driving the rest of the show. Um, but w- what is your take, Jared, on on Evan Ruiz? He's a mission now. W- where does that leave him at the moment yeah I, I unfortunately i don't think he got much time to really prove himself um Dwayne did give him the one scrum near the end of the game to, uh, to pack down at number eight and uh, have a carry off the off the back but yeah i i, I think it is a bit uh concerning for him and his springbok chances i think Dwayne uh luck went full Thor, threw his hammer down and has comfortably put himself back into that uh number one number two spots as as the spring box number eight um so i think yeah i i think it's made it very difficult for him um i think he's the biggest loser from um the from the performance against the wallabies and it's not entirely his fault he he was still he didn't put a foot wrong but he was just yeah when Dwayne plays like that and and you see him playing like that he's he's back to his old standard yeah which which is really what we need, um, and no, no means uh, putting pressure on Ruiz, but that's what we needed. I must be honest, I was quite surprised that when Ruiz did come on during what was happening in that game and how dominant the Springboks were, I thought that we might see Dwayne on the side and Evan Ruiz at eight, but that didn't happen. So very interesting. Like my theory earlier on of why Ruiz was in and not Ulrich Lowe was because of Achis Neyman's inclusion um, and horses for courses and having too many of the same mm. horses. That's why I thought Ruiz was getting a look in, but things are changing. Like we, we literally in the last two years have seen the Springbok game evolve and more importantly evolve to what players we've got around us. It's super exciting. And I find it very interesting that people are saying like, Oh, finally we are playing running rugby and finally this and finally that, but <laughs> we also haven't really, we've, we've stuck to a game plan. We've set a foundation. Like this is not, springbok rugby this is going to just be an arrow an extra arrow 
you know, in our attacking quiver um, because yeah. we've got yeah. so many other options. We're going to, you know, what a lot of fans don't realize is that we kicked more on Saturday out of hand than we did in the last seven tests. So, yeah. you know, and everyone's like, oh, we played the most expansive rugby, but we kicked a lot and we kicked well. On to Elton Yanchi's and this might, we don't have to dive too much deeper into it because I know when Tala, we're going to all chat a little bit about um, about the 10 and specifically money, but Jared, Elton Yanchi's been left behind. Is, is that a problem for him and his World Cup chances or is it just one of those things that we couldn't take too many guys? Yeah, I, th- I think part of it is because we couldn't take too many guys, um, but I think Alton's uh, chances of making the World Cup are... I think they were declining last year and uh, I think they pretty close to being non-existent um, provided we don't have, provided we get uh, Andre Pollard back fully fit and um, Pollard, Willemse and Libok are, are all fit for the World Cup. If those three are all fit, I don't think Alton's got a chance of making the World Cup. I think Marnie's taken uh, the, the lead in the, for their third choice fly-off spot. And whether we like it or not, Damien Willemser is a, a springbok fly-half in the coach's um, eyes. And he'll probably be starting this test match against the All Blacks. And I think it's something like his seventh start in the last year or so yeah. at, at fly-half. So, yeah, we, 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 we call in for options at fly-half in case of these disasters like we had last year with Pollard getting injured, Yankees getting up to all kinds of shirts. So yeah, yeah. We, we, we've put the caps into Willemse at Flahoff and yeah, this podcast have, has torn Willemse apart, especially in our earlier days um, with what he did with it, with the Stormers, but he's, he's really matured quite a lot and he's grown with the box. And I, I, I don't stress about him playing Flahoff for the Springboks. Interesting. I know I want to chat a little bit more about money and a few other options, but I'm going to hand over to the boss, Tyler. Hi, you, mate. Welcome. <laughs> um, I hope everyone can hear me. We just had a, or well, I had a small technical difficulty before the we gremlins, started recording. Man, the gremlins. Unfortunately, <laughs> they don't want us to talk about the Springbok win. So, gents, let's maybe start talking about the players that impressed us on Saturday a bit more. I'm going to start the ball rolling. Um, yeah, I think... And I'm sure we were going to get to it, but I really, ha- I mean, Sean and I were talking about this before we recorded. Marvin Ori, I think, had a really good game on Saturday. Um, yes. I think the the carrying was was great. I mean, he was being used as in that um, leading that um, leading the, the 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 forward pod, and he was the one connecting with with the back line. So he'd either carry it up himself or then pass it to the uh, pass it out the back to to uh, Mani Libok, and he was really good with that. He connected well a few times with Jean Klein, and between him and Jean Klein, they either had passes or passes inside back to each other, or dummies, or or everything like that going on. And it wasn't really the most typically Marvin Ori test because we know how great Marvin Ori is as you know a cockstirer for, for the mm. scientific term, Shut and us. how he can just get under. <laughs> and now he can get under like the opposition skin, but it was just great to see like his full skill set and his ability to you know help us with the with the with the ball carrying. And I think the box have been trying to put this type of game together with um Lodiaka as well. So 
we know that Marvin Ari can help with executing that. I saw somewhere that this was his third test that he started for Springboks in a row, and he's never yeah. done that. So, I mean, that probably shows the the fruit of that, and he's obviously had a really good um, season for the Stormers. So, he was really impressive for me. I think he's, I mean, there's arguments for many other players, but I think he was the most impressive forward uh, um, on Saturday for, for myself, and he probably, I mean, we can just discuss this maybe later, but there's maybe one seat between Ari and John Klain. I think Ari, especially with his versatility, has probably um, secured that for himself. So I'll start with, Sh- or let's start with Jared. What, which player um, impressed you the most on Saturday? Yeah, um, I, I, I think uh, you, you spot on with uh, Marvin. I think he did have a good game. I think it was, you said it wasn't his typical game. I think he... Put, he produced quite a um, good Lewis impression, if I can put it that way, and that takes a bit away from from him himself. But I, I think it really was, which is quite a compliment, I, I reckon. But um, the man that really stood up for me was uh, Marco van Staden. Like it's easy to look at Kurt Lee and his uh, three tries, but I think Marco had a had a hand in just about every try that we scored until he went off. So. He was hugely impressive. It was his first start for the box, and he just he took his opportunity with both hands. He was amazing with ball in hand. His breakdown skills were great, and I don't think he took a step back the entire game in any collision or contact or anything. And yeah, I I think for him and also for for Andre Estes, and there were two guys that really put their hand up and really made the most of the opportunity, and. Yeah, it could serve them very well going into what's becoming a very short time period to to make the World Cup. And I think Marku probably, he might have been one of those players that wasn't going to be on the plane to New Zealand and played his way onto the plane. Um, and yeah, if Quacha doesn't step up against the All Blacks, he could, he could be taking that spot until we get Sia back. Yeah, I think that's that's quite true, and we'll probably talk we'll talk about it. I think in a wider context about how much we can take from this game. Sean, your player. Um, I'm going to go with the forward and the back, but the forward is going to be simple. It, it was Marvin Orion's for everything that you mentioned. Um, I really thought he was excellent. Um, there's not really much more I can add. Just purely, I think he was good. But for me, a standout player, someone that was hardly mentioned at all by anyone because so many other fringe players in inverted commas were doing so well. But Kovas Reinach at nine, when our game basically hinges on our nine more than, than most sides, I thought he was incredible. He didn't do anything flashy. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't playing his nine off the bench role. He wasn't playing that one role where I'm trying to find a gap, I'm trying to snipe, I'm trying to do something, I'm keeping you honest. He played that nine role as a passing nine. I'm going to just set up ball, distribute, and we're going to play with the rest of our backs or the forwards or whatever. I thought Kovas Reinach, that performance by him, because firstly, no one really spoke about him. No one really said anything more about him. He just did his job. And sometimes that's what you need. Um, and it needs, uh, yeah, it's, I thought he was probably my standout amongst all you know, the, the, the notable other guys that did really, really well, but Reinach deserves a shout out. Yeah, I, I actually, interestingly enough, when I watched on watched the game again this morning, I, 
I wasn't, not that I thought Kovac had a terrible game, but I was just like, oh, there's a few mistakes here and there that he would maybe <clears throat> do better in, an, in another game or just things that he wasn't really accurate with. I mean, a few box kicks that were like a bit too shallow sometimes or a bit too deep. Some of the passes weren't going to hand. So I was, uh, I, I think, I mean, on a day when pretty much most of the Springbok 23 played really well, I think him and maybe our lineouts were probably the two things I was like, ooh, we could have done a bit better then in, in that aspect, Sean. So I don't know what you think about that. But you're right, though. Our lineouts were, were shady, like 12 of 16, and uh, that's with Bongi Manambi and then three from three for Dweb's. So mm. it was a bit challenging. But the 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 truth is, is I, I honestly feel that there was probably maybe only one springbok that really seemed like he didn't make an error and that was Vili LaRue. I'm just trying to think offhand now, but there, mm. there, a lot of people made a lot of errors on Saturday. Probably Andre Essazen was, was the one who, who you could probably put his hand up and say, I didn't make one mistake. But there were a lot of, there were a lot of errors and it was, we, a lot of the cracks were papered over by, by the results and by how passive the Aussies were. Um, which I think is both a good and a bad thing, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little later. Yeah, the the, the one uh, I like that Sean mentioned Corbus because I, I did see a little bit of stick coming his way, but the one thing I will give him credit is that he played in a position where if if you don't have a lot of cohesion in your squad, and we sort of saw it with the lineouts a little bit, but if you, if you don't have like guys um that you've played a lot of rugby with it can go horribly wrong for for a scrum off um it, we we mentioned Jean Klein, but i don't think Quivis has ever played with um Marnie Leboc as his 10 either um it's been a while for him and uh Andre so i I, th- I think in a very changed team and, and not a team that's played a hell of a lot of rugby together i think he pulled it together quite well and yeah, those errors are there, but I, it, I don't think they were bad enough to to really warrant a, a terrible rating, or um, that would would it be detrimental against another team that was maybe a bit sharper than the Wallabies. Truth, truth be told, like we we had a balanced squad, but we had a very mix and match squad. Like mm. it's our first mm. game of the season. Historically, the Springboks are slow starters. Like we need one game to kind of get one big tackle and, and wake up. And then there were all those extra combo changes and, and just a whole bunch. And for considering all of that, I thought we did exceptionally well and we were helped massively by the Wallabies and by how passive they were. Sorry for repeating myself. But, but yeah, it's a valid point. Like there were so many changes. That's where I think a lot of the errors came from. I mean, this side in four games time, hypothetically, if they played three or four games, we'd be completely different. Anyway, sorry. Hello. <laughs> No, I think that's a very good point. And look, I think that should be considered in how you look at Quibus, especially that some of the errors, I mean, look, I think some of the things are just execution things. I mean, I know Reinach has worked really hard on his box kicking and has been better before for the spring box. So I, I don't doubt that he can do that. So it's not... Like Jared said, it's not detrimental mistakes. Like you're like, oh, I don't know if he should be a Springbok anymore. But yeah, I think also some of the other things, especially the passing to Lebok, was more just, I haven't played with this person before. So Jared, let's talk about our opposition. I mean, 
I was listening to a few podcasts um, over the weekend. Um, the Raw Rugby podcast has their instant reaction pod. And um, Harry was talking about the Wallabies being crash test dummies. And watching the game on Monday as well, I was like, yes, this is actually a, almost a very competitive captain's practice in terms of just the opposition that the Wallabies were giving. What do you think? Um, how much can we take up from this game considering that the Wallabies were pretty weak actually all things considered mm. yeah I, I i think we can still take quite a a great deal from it like to yeah that last score um put a little bit of a, a damper on the score line but it, it it was over 30 points that we beat them by so i think any tier one side that you're able to do that to and able to perform at a high level against i think you do need to take quite a bit away from that um I, I do think the the Wallabies, they were trying to implement a few new things and just weren't quite getting it right. And I think the Springboks did surprise them with a few things. Um, the, that Moni Lebok, um break where Rhino came off of the back of the mall and put him through a gap. That's not something we generally do. You you normally have Rhino, um doing a box kick or doing a box kick from that situation. So I think we did catch them unawares um, at some points and their kicking game just wasn't quite as accurate as Eddie would would like it to be. So I, I think there is some positive to take from it. But yeah, um, I, I, I think we just brutally battered them up front. And um, yeah, yeah, I think we wore them down in the first half and in the second half, it, it was just a free-for-all and we started to pick them apart one by one. Yeah, I think that's true, Jared. I, like the the second half i think just became a bit of a <laughs> was just running practice for the box and they were just basically running it in but in the first half i mean when it was a bit more competitive there were there is some things that can be taken from it but sean yeah i think when people and i mean there's been a lot of reactions about okay this person should be in our first team and this person should be um you know like taking over from the, that person and and all that sort of stuff like I mean, for example, you know, Estazen versus Dialendi and um, Lubbock versus Pollard um, and those sort of battles. Yeah, maybe not the game yet to 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 base those takes on because it seems like, especially with international rugby right now, there's the 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 top four sides: Ireland, France, South Africa, New Zealand. You know, they're obviously quite close and competitive, but five and below, there's a little bit of a drop in quality. And especially with the, you know, with everyone that's not Scotland right now, they they seem to be, if you if they're bad, they're really really bad. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, it's very very interesting. What you're bang on. The no one, no one's single performance on Saturday um, warrants them stealing the starting jumper or whomever if they're not the starter. So. Um, I'm pretty confident that that has been communicated to everyone. What it has done, though, is put great pressure, like awesome team, good vibes pressure on everyone to stand up and perform. And after watching um, Chasing the Sun, like we know that that's how they operate. That's almost probably how every professional team operates. So it's really important. A couple of guys really put their hand up and, you know, really like because with all of these guys performing, there are going to be those conversations, those swing votes 
you know, like it's going to go down to, I just have a feeling that this guy is going to be a better addition to our squad than this guy. It's got nothing to do with time in the field and all that sort of stuff. So these performances on the weekend were, were great. Um, because it kind of helps us swing votes, you know, <laughs> and, uh, what it also does is, um, starts giving us, um, a more comfortable horses for courses squad, which I'm super excited to see and is going to be unleashed. It's been happening. It's been bubbling. It's been working. We've haven't always had the players. We've now got the players, we've got the form. And, um, you know, we've got a full four and a bit years under essentially the same coaching setup. So that's, that's pretty exciting, but yeah, it's going to be about beating those, those, those guys that, you know, could really beat you. Um, not, not by you messing up just because they're, they really put it together on the day, like, well, um, and unfortunately the South Africans, um, probably have almost all of them <laughs> they almost got to go through them all to win to win the world cup this year yeah and if it's we'll have to see if maybe you know these if you want to call them second string players can you know do the business against you know the top top sides and that, that might be something we'll have to see in the future but the one debate that's been raging on twitter <laughs> at the moment has been the debate on the wing with um, Kurtley Aronson now scoring 10 tries in eight appearances. I hope I have the stats right. He keeps scoring tries every few minutes, it seems. There is some talk about, you know, what's his place in the team? And maybe it's Makazoma Pimpi he should be replacing, or even Ches and Colby. And, you know, obviously Aronson's not only been good for the Springboks um, on, on Saturday, he was great at the end of last season. He had a really good URC, maybe two good URC seasons. He can play 15, he can play 14, he's a good um, kicker, he can tackle, he's, he's good with the finishing. He finished that ridiculous opportunity at the corner that I'm still not sure how he got through at the end of um, getting through those three people. Jared, I don't know where you stand with that particular debate or not, but I, I guess the one thing and the good thing for the Springbok coaching staff is that they have three really quality wingers, and that's never mind speaking about um, Kevin Amudi, who also had a strong performance. Yeah, like I said, uh, I think it's got a lot to do with what I said earlier, that we just have all these amazing um, selection headaches. And yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, Makazoli would be able to make it through uh, this World Cup campaign and uh, get to France, but he's been consistently great for us um, throughout this period. Like he he was solid during the uh, British and Irish Lions series. He was solid the whole way through um, the cycle. And it, yeah, RNC is scoring at a ridiculous rate. But the thing is, how many opportunities does Makazole really turn down? Um, like, the, it's not often, like, you, you need an illegal tackle from Marika Corumbete to, to stop him. That's generally what it takes. And uh, to me, uh, Makazole is uh, probably the best kick chase uh, winger in the world. So that's right up there for, for him. So yeah, I, I, I'm not in a camp of we should start this one or start that one. I, th- I think uh, Sean's on the right track with uh, horses for courses and Orance is maybe better to play against Australia, but Mapimbi is better to play against New Zealand or just this opportunity is better for that and this opportunity is better for, for another player. 
Yeah, I think that that probably describes it. Yeah, and I think most other positions, like we've said earlier, most people have probably solidified themselves as second choice or at least put themselves in a conversation against another player and, yeah, that other player has to reply to them now on Saturday. Sean? It's such a... It's... uh, I call it, like, the, the soccer or the football mindset, like, this negative stuff. Like, on Saturday, after Kirtley Arnsa scores and South Africa win, then who's trending on Twitter? My pimpy. And you know that nobody's saying good things. I just don't understand it. It's not like my pimpy has not performed. That's, that's what I don't understand. You know, and, and Jared's bang on. Like, he really, very rarely put, uh, puts a chance, uh, doesn't put a chance to bed. He always makes meters. He defends really well. Probably one of our best defending wingers. And considering where he was at the just ahead of the 2019 World Cup when he wasn't getting he wasn't getting the defensive setup, like he's perfect. He's also a massive human being. Like he he's strong and he bulldozes people. So I yeah, I just find it very odd. It's 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 kind of like a favoritism thing. It's not like, listen, these guys are playing well. We've got to kind of see what happens. It's like, let's talk the other guy down because, you know, he's the opposition, essentially. But we don't have a better left wing in South Africa than Makazola Mapimpi. We don't. If, if, I, if I ever had a choice, I'd, uh, I'd start him. But the, the bonus about Kirtley Arantz is that he can play 14 and 15 as well. So that poses other questions. But I don't think Makazola Mapimpi, his position in the squad is under fire. I do not think so at all. He's he's in great form. There's no doubt about it. Okay, and let's talk about other players in the back line. I mean, I think we've mentioned here and there how good we thought Mani Leboc was. And yeah, I think he had a bit of a, you know, his start wasn't great, but he really came into his own late in the, uh, in the second part of the first half. And in the second half, obviously, when the Springboks were rolling, he was really good. And you know, some of the passing and decision-making that he makes, you see sort of the big um, difference that he can bring into a team and what he brings to the Stormers week in, week out. The fact that he's not only, you know, one of the better passers um, in South Africa, probably one of the best passers, but he's also so fast, as we saw in that breakout from the mall in the 22, that he can take a gap for himself. And that combination between him and Vili LaRue, goodness, we, <laughs> we need to see more of that. Sean. Yeah, I, I I think, yes, yeah, I mean, we talked about it earlier in terms of the Alton Yankees thing, but I think talking about it more from a Manny Lubbock um, situation, he's done what you what anyone would ask for him to do in the three tests that he's had um, game time in. Like, he's played pretty well. He's kept things going. He's now connected well with Vinny LaRue in two tests. You know, he looks at least, you know, maybe we, we can put... Um, talk about him starting against the All Blacks to to bed in a serious game, but he's looked at least like a test level fly half, and that's probably all that the Springboks coaching staff is asking for. Absolutely, I'm I'm super I'm super happy with his performance. I, I do want to say, and I'm by no means being a killjoy, but I'm just like we've got to point out as well, he didn't have the best game at ten, and we were also in a fortunate space that w- with his errors they weren't they weren't punished too badly because of of the Wallabies and their, their form or their state. Um, but what a, I couldn't think of a better time. Like what a better way to make your starting, um, your, your, your starting 
your first start for the Springboks um, in an important game. It's the first one of the year. It's a shortened rugby championship um, and guiding the team to a bonus point win. So, yeah, I'm happy. The, the thing is, is the only hesitancy all of us have ever had with him being the second choice Springbok um, fly half going to the World Cup was his minutes. So I agree totally. I want him, in a perfect world, I want him to be starting all six of the test matches before the World Cup. He needs to be put under pressure, uh, and that's and not because I want to show him up. It's because I want him to experience it all before we go to the World Cup because if he's going to be our second-choice fly-off, there's a very good chance he's going to be starting a couple of important games or be on the bench in the very least. So that's all, all I want. But his experience of the last two years with the Stormers um, his uh, his rugby journey that he's had has really prepared him for all of this anyway. And you could kind of argue that he doesn't necessarily need the minutes, like the the pressure that he's been under through his career and in his life with you know everything leading up to his return to Cape Town has been kind of put him in this position. So you know it'll be a little bit uh, a little bit like unfair to say that he hasn't prepared. Like it's literally the only thing that is counting against him is, is his actual book minutes. But he, he did what was needed on Saturday. We didn't fall apart and we were ruthless and the Springboks are not a ruthless side. We historically are not, but we did it and we did it with him at 10. So I agree totally. I'm just like a bit hesitant to put all my eggs in the basket. I just want to see one or two more things. No one, like everyone out there, if Lubbock has an, a so-so game coming up in the next three or four games, but you've been arguing for him to to be the second-choice fly half for the Springboks, then you've got to like accept it. Because Pollard's had shit games. Everyone, everyone's had shit games. Just some guys are pressurized more by it afterwards than others. But yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see what what happens and how it goes. You know, ideally, I. Yeah, it's weird. I, I probably wouldn't want Willemsa starting at 10, but as Jared mentioned, we are we clearly are shaping towards our 10s being Pollard, Livock, and Willemsa. And that means we have to give Willemsa time at 10 as well. And the thing is, is when Pollard comes back, Pollard needs time at 10. So we're really in a tough position at the moment where we can't say, right, Manny, you go and you play 10 you get 60 minutes for the next six games. Like, go and go mad. This weekend, for me, because as Jared mentioned, and I saw it as well, I'm pretty sure that, that Willems is going to start at 10. Uh, Lubbock has to come on and has at least have, has to play 30 minutes at fly half for the Springboks, um, no matter what the state of the game. Like, uh, we, we, he needs time on the field. That's the, the only thing that's, I wouldn't say counting against him, but it's the only thing that I think he and everyone else needs. Just a little bit more. We can't, kind of wrap him in cotton wool and send him to the World Cup. And then, yeah, I think also then one other thing to mention with how the backline played on Saturday, or two things, is I will try to say this every podcast until the World Cup. Vili LaRue needs to play as many minutes as possible in our biggest games in the Rugby World Cup because he's the key that unlocks the attack. Like, everything just looks a lot better when Vili was there. I think it was the best kick in the game on Saturday. He obviously was taking the right options. And yeah, we know how good he is in attack and he showed that on Saturday. And the second thing was, I mean, for people that have been watching um, Harlequins for the last few years, I think there was a lot of vindication that they felt watching Andre Estes and, and 
seeing him at his best. I think this was the match. Um, hopefully, he has a few more Test matches. I mean, unfortunately, he's not. You know, he's not the youngest person in the world. But this was the Test match that said, "Okay, he's Test level." Like, there's any if there's any doubt, if there's any questions, like he's a Test match um, level player that he can bring his best into that Test arena. Like, not only is he obviously great with carrying the ball, we know how destructive he is there, but the offload that he had to Marco van Stad and the passes that he had, the width that our players had, the amount of ball that our wingers got. I mean, our wings were t- near the top of our meters. I think Moody was first and Aronson was third or fourth. So that shows that we were getting the ball to the wings as much as possible. And yeah, that's not always something that's 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 the case with, with our Springbok game plan. So I think Estazen was an important aspect of it. And yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if, if anyone wants to take this one further, but like, I mean, look on your um, I think he's maybe still getting back from his um, knee injury. I think he's still getting onto, onto speed. There's some places where you're like, hmm, that probably might not have been what he would have done a few years ago. But as the game was getting on on Saturday, I think he was getting better and better. So there's a few things that we can work on. There's places that we can improve for sure. But yeah, that was a really good backline performance. And that's likely, more likely than not, the backline that we're going to see minus one or two changes in the games against like Tonga and Romania. And I think that's, you know, putting 40 on Australia, that's a good, that puts us in good stead for the matches against Tonga and, and, and Romania. I would hope that Tonga and Romania would put a lot more pressure on us than Australia did. Jared? Yeah, Tala, I, I can back you up and all that. It was great to see Andre finally take his um, premiership form and performances into a big test match. Like, uh, like he he has been given a few opportunities with the with the Springboks, but this was his, the first time he was like really given the tools and the players around him to really thrive and like really shine in in his style of play and. I, th- I think what was great is he didn't let that opportunity slip. Like he was, he, he, I think Sean mentioned just now, he was one of those players that hardly put a foot wrong the entire game. And I think Billy was right up there with him as well. Like if Aronson didn't score three tries, it, I think it would be between Van Staden, um, Van Staden, LaRue and Estes in for man of the match. And yeah, I, I see a lot of things about uh, Lucanio on, on the Twitter sphere and, what I will say is that even that kind of performance, he, he was he was still quality. It just wasn't, it's not the Lucania that we know. And there there were a few, like he always has that magic moments and that magic moment was his uh, pass to, to Aronser. But uh, he also had that one kick and Aronser just slipped when he offloaded to him from, from the deck. The, the ball just slipped out of his hands. But if he if he got that pass away, you know Lucania is going to catch it and and he's going to cancel through and score. So I'm I'm not too concerned about um. I think it's just a a matter of getting the minutes into him and and he'll be fine. It's yeah yeah. I I think like maybe for my own sanity and for my own just personal well being, I gotta just stop worrying about what people think and say because sometimes there's just some horrible takes out there, but. I mean, there were even calls for like, like saying that Lukanya arm needs to be dropped because he's lost a yard of pace and he's lost this. I can't, like, I can't. Like, he was, he was great. The thing is, is he, he didn't really make that many mistakes. 
hardly very few guys made really glaring errors. But guys also coming back from injury again. I'm sorry, it's repeating myself. It's the first game back for everybody, you know. And the other thing is, is we need to have a thing called a squad. <laughs> you know, we need to be able to look at people and say, we need you, we need this, we need that. So it's bizarre. Like people, the same people are saying they don't want Lukanya um to start because uh, you know he's lacking pace in inverted commas, but they also don't want Jesse Creel to start. So good luck trying to find another world class thirteen. That can that can play and kind of add what those two add. So, yeah, I find it really odd. Anyway, um, my rant is now done for now. Lukanya must stay. Uh, I think it's some Wandi Similani fans. Um, Jared, you're our um, Twitter interpreter. I was surprised that like you said that a, a few people were negative about the Peter Steph to toy performance. What 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 were we missing here? Yeah, I I don't think it was uh, people really saying he was poor or anything. Um, but they uh, just sort of an average uh, game from Peter Steph to Toy, and some saying no, like pressure is really on him and that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I I just put it out there because I I saw some criticism of him, and I really wanted to understand where um, there was an issue in his game. And one of the replies I got was was probably the best summed it up, and he it was for the life of me I can't remember who who sent it, but they pretty much said that Peter Steftitoy has set a unrealistic standard for himself um, from his 2019 form, and anything below that, people then think that he hasn't had a great game. So I th- I think that's sort of what we can look at it like. He st- I thought he had a had a Peter Steff esque uh, performance. Not quite his uh, an all-time great performance, but I, I think he's really trending towards that 2019 form and he'll be hitting it by the time we land in France. Mate, nail on the head. Like, same thing as Lukanyam. Peter Steph Tatoy and Lukanyam can both play 10% under their best, but still be the best in their position for the Springboks comfortably. And that's, I think, in what the people world. need to realize. Yeah. Like, you know, they're actually playing world-class rugby and are probably in the top two best in the world when they're operating at 88% of their capability. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like, we know exactly what they're going to deliver. This is the first game, and you're like, no, that's it. You're cuck. Get off. Who's next? Next cab up on the rank. Those days need to be over. We can't be just chopping and changing uh, match day 23 by 23 people every week just for shits and giggles <laughs> imagine oh the carnage but i said i wouldn't do this again i said i wouldn't <laughs> and then maybe one last thing um i'll start with you sean what does someone like jean claim do well because i think his um role as a tight head lock is a bit uh underrated Whoa, man did he did he step up today today saturday like i oof. you know i can't i can't even oh, jared do you want to like do you want to maybe tee this up i know you've been frothing to to get this and i wouldn't do it justice so i'd rather you jump in and then i can just add little bits of oohs and ahs afterwards because i know that you're <laughs> absolutely <laughs> jumping to get at this yeah, I, I really have because I, I love seeing him back in the, um, well, back in a Springbok jersey or well, making his Springbok debut. I thought he was fantastic. Like, we we really have a, 
it's, it's go, it sounds terrible, but it's almost like a little bit of an issue if we don't have urban playing because you, you're going from the best tight-head lock in the world and you're dropping down to, to guys like, um, you could probably say Lewis is maybe a tight-head lock, but the rest of the guys are almost like four and a halves or, um, or fives, like Sosa is a, properly a five. So just to have uh, someone out there that is willing to do the the ugly stuff, the the clearing out rucks, the putting the the shoulder in on a on a big prop um, that carries into you, and putting your shoulder on the props, your own props, asked to to get that scrub motoring forward, and that's pretty much what Klein did. Like I thought he was fantastic. He just did all that donkey work. Um, even that lineout still that led to Corombetti's try. Right afterwards, he's charging after the restart and he goes and he holds up, um, I think he held up Quaid or I, I think it was Quaid. So yeah, just that repeated Nick effort, Nick White. It's just that those repeated efforts, getting off the deck, getting back in it. Um, I, th- I think he, I think it was even with um, Akia Snayman when Snayman came on, he got on Snayman's shoulder and drove him pretty close to the line. And that's also the stuff that you really, really need. And I thought Klein was excellent in it. I think the only critique I can give on his game, and I did put it out on Twitter, but he—he's—he he wasn't quite uh, brushed up on the line. I cause a hundred percent and was like half a second late um, once on once on Peter Steff to Toy and once on Ori, and we lost both those lineouts. But I mean, that just comes with time in the squad. You, you, he won't he won't let that happen. Um, after he's got a few more reps in with the Springboks. So it it really was great to see and even better to see, if, if I can put it that way, was to see Achia's name I'm back in a Springbok jersey. It's been it's been four long years. Like I, I'm going to just put it out there. It's been a full four years. It's felt like that. It's felt longer even. <laughs> but he, he was just fantastic as well. And yeah, I've spoken up. Klein playing tight head lock. The win Achia came on, he, he packed down at tight head. So... So yeah, interesting to see, but uh, it was it was just awesome. We we got a great eighty minute performance out of our locking positions. Yeah, we. Uh, I tell you the one thing, and I must thank. I can't even mention them all, but it's so much of of Irish Twitter, um, specifically yeah. the Munster fans, have uh, educated me a lot more on tight head and loose head locks. Um, mm. You know, mm. and. Uh, it's it's been because I, I try and spend a lot of time learning. I, as much as I'm a backline player, I try to learn about the dark arts. It's really challenging when most people who do the dark arts can't tell you exactly what's happening. But <laughs> at scrum time and all that with the loose head and tight head locks and what's going down, it was was great over the last uh, short year and a bit to to learn a bit more about it. But I will tell you something though. I was super impressed. Like he went out. I was so proud mm. like to see him doing that, just knowing his journey and what's going on. Like he was pretty much like really thought that he should be playing test rugby for Ireland. Um, and it so happened that he was able to play for us, but what a moment for him. Imagine like he went to Ireland. He then realized he could play for Ireland. He went through that process, played for Ireland, but his whole dream was to play for the Springboks. And he realized, you know, once you put that Irish Jersey on and you play that first test, your that that's gone. It's done. Like your yeah. childhood dream yeah. of playing for the Springboks, because you don't necessarily play, test rugby you you want to play for the spring box and that obviously means test rugby but yeah and that's all gone and then he's somehow we know how like through world rugby's eligibility struggled with that word but 
but yeah, but through somehow he got the opportunity and then after all that to be picked for the Springboks and play when we have such a massive stock of like locks. Yeah. But Jared, what I do want to ask you just um, quickly is um, what um, uh, is he defending lineouts? He's defending at four or is he defending at two? Because Evan's the best number two defensive jumper in the world. Yeah. And now do we yeah. have the best number four defensive jumper as well? No, uh, Klein was jumping in the in the two. So he he effectively played Yevon Espe's role on on Saturday. Uh, like he scrummed on Tarted. The the easy way to think about it is um because we had them for so long, but Bucky's Water and Victor Madfield. Victor was a loose head lock. Uh Bucky's was our Tarted lock. Bucky's always jumped in the in the front of the lineout and he always scrummed on the Tartid's ass. I say always, but nine times out of ten he was scrumming on the Tartid's ass. So you would pack down on the right hand side of of the the locks. And that's mm. pretty much how we do it. So a lot of countries they have their Tartid lock wearing number five. South Africa, we always have it number four. So it's yes. the easy way to remember it. So it's like it's a your bigger lad. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 your bigger it's your bigger lock, your more abrasive lock, and uh not the one that caused the line outs generally. Yeah. Yo. Tala? It's also nice that we have a, a, a tight head lock that actually contributes to the game. It's not called world class just because he bullies Irish teams. Um <laughs> speaking of Irish teams. <laughs> Shots fired. World Scouts and Leinster's bully. And just after, and <laughs> listen, I just for the for everyone's FYI, does this just after Ronan Agara follows Tyler on Twitter, he then now says stuff like this, like here comes Look, another swift unfollow. I will I will do a public apology after this. I need to get it all out, and then I'll be like, "Look, Ronan, you can stay on, be one of my followers. I will not slander Will Skelton anymore." Oh. Or what no, we do no. is we is we is we geo block this for France. <laughs> <laughs> a specific Aaron Lara Shal cannot listen to this podcast. <laughs> but I think the one, yeah, number one, Jean Klein. I mean, there was a bit of a, a dust up on Twitter about his comments about you know not you know sleeping in bed wanting to be the next Polo Connell, and then he gets a black eye afterwards. So I don't know if that was a bit of like karma or whatever. Um, handing something out to him. Um, but number two, you know, it's it's obviously awesome for him to 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 um to get the opportunity to play for the Springboks. It's a quirk of this new system that we actually got a player back. <laughs> I don't think that was ever part of the equation when people were voting for this. Even after Rassi said that basically we've um we as Africa voted against it <laughs> when we were voting for mm. it on the on the world rugby um stage. But yeah, I think it's good that we have this depth for um, for tight head lock. I mean, it sounds like Eben Etzebeth might be making his return on, on, on Saturday. It sounds like he's recovered and a lot of the people in the know say he's going to be playing on Saturday. So that's obviously a very big quick and quick recovery. And look, if Klein is able to... Um, yeah, if, if Klein is able to... Um, give us that backup there. That's good, and we have that option. But yeah, it's 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 five or six locks that are close to you know, or that are close or are test quality that we have, and that's a very envious position that I think most other world, um, test teams in the world would would want to have. Okay, so that's a good wrap and a detailed discussion on the Springboks and and how they looked on Saturday. Let's look at it from the other side briefly, Sean. Yeah, 
Let's <laughs> what do you do? I don't even know how to even like start this conversation or narrow it or widen it or whatever the case is. Like you look at Saturday, you pretty much dominated in every aspect of the game. There's very few, if not any, players that you can say, okay, they outplayed their opponent. What do you do? Like what 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 what, what do you how do you react? What do you do for Saturday? Is it wholesale changes? Is it a new game plan? Did this game plan work? Was it execution? Yeah, I just have question mark, question mark, question mark <laughs> next to my Wallabies notes. I, I can't answer that. But what I will say is, is Eddie Jones never has been and never will be about instant redemption. So he... I mean, we found out just before kickoff that he absolutely obliterated the Wallabies in the week that they were in Pretoria or wherever they were training before the test match in South Africa. So that's quite clear that he's not about instant redemption. He's more about making sure that he gets everything sorted out. As mentioned before, we're like two months away from the World Cup. He's got a lot of work to do. Like this, his job was... It's a massive job. Like we thought Steve Borthwick had a big job taking England on in 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 Feb. But realistically, um three, two, three days ago was the first time that Eddie Jones got to really like the only time you really get to know things is is on test match days, you know? So I he's not about instant redemption. He's about planning and preparing he knows he's he's experienced enough to know where they're lacking in certain places and i think he's also put together a side and said cool there are a couple of guys here i mean there were four guys on debut there were a couple of questionable decisions about um who he was playing you know uh, where like fraser mcwright is and the australian a side of Tonga this weekend like a lot of guys are there so that was him saying, cool, let's see who's got what. Um, but also, I'm going to make sure you guys are fit. And whether we win or lose the rugby championship, that really doesn't matter. I know I said that about Eddie Jones. Like, no matter what happens in the Six Nations, he'll still be there for the World Cup. Well, he didn't even make the Six Nations. <laughs> so, so what do I know? But he's not going to be He's not going to be kicked out of... Oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. He'll never be kicked out of the Wallaby job before the World Cup. Like, I don't see that happening in two months. Oh, we sure. So, <laughs> maybe it's me. But, um, yeah, so... Yeah, he's more about the long game. And I think, realistically, he's more about the World Cup. And he's going to break bodies and mentally hurt people and make them fit and you know, piss every Australian off and every Kiwi off and every other South African off by the things that he says and does. He doesn't give two shits and he's going to have everything done how he wants it. So, no, in short, I don't think... I think there'll be changes because there were probably going to be planned changes, um, especially mm-hmm. after Saturday's performance. There were maybe one or two extra planned changes which might look like wholesale. Um Game plan will change against the Kiwi, uh, against the the Argies. Um, that I, there's no doubt about for me. Um, but yeah, I think he probably is going to target. Like if I was Eddie Jones in that short period of time, and with in brackets, I have zero coaching experience. But um, I would probably have targeted something that's more important than the rugby championship for the Australians, and that's a Bladers Low Cup. 
So he's yeah. not a butt in redemption. He's probably going to really give it a tongue for bled and, uh, and then the World Cup. Yeah, um, I, I think that's well summarized there, Sean. I mean, you weren't being a smart ass about it at all, first of all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and just for the record, just having a look at that, and I, I mean, obviously everyone knows that I quite like Eddie Jones. So I don't have an issue with him. But uh, I reckon that he, him saying that was bang on. <laughs> I think the journal totally deserved that. Yeah, look, but anyway, um, it's, it's there was words afterwards as well, eh? Yeah, no, well, I, not I apparently of, there was. I didn't see what it was said though. No, look, I mean, Ken was being very cheeky with that question. If you know, just for context for people that haven't seen it, there's a video around social media where did well, okay, Ed, Eddie Jones did say something along the lines of they want to play the best Springbok team available. And but this was Ken in Sydney. Be- this was in Sydney before yes. they even came, before the side was even yeah. announced. So, yeah. And then Ken asked him, are you relieved you didn't play the first choice players? <laughs> Eddie took exception to that, as you would expect from Eddie Jones. And he said, don't be a smart ass, mate. So, yeah. Jeez, Tala, you, you're an Aussie in disguise, mate. That's what well <laughs> No, yes. look, I've, I've listened to more than enough Eddie Jones to be able to get, if you're just able to say mates, you probably have at least 60% but of the accent. To be fair, he did, he, like when that question came, he kind of partially answered and he says, you know, you know what, you know what South Africans are good at, mates? He says they're good at winning. <laughs> and then he took a pause and then I think, I think the red mist came and he was like, yeah. don't be a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. No, he definitely, <laughs> yeah, look, the, the, Ken Borland, he's a very experienced journalist in both cricket and rugby in South Africa, but yeah, that was cheeky. I think he, he got what was coming to him there. Yeah, look, you got to poke, poke the bear, but we must be careful that we don't get into, like, I mean, I would love to have found out a little bit more about, <laughs> about what went wrong, but then after that, I think Eddie was just fuming. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Good banter. Look, Listen, everyone loves to poke the poke the Aussies or the Poms more than anything. So yeah, look, I think in terms of the game on Saturday, the game plan was interesting if you're looking at it from a long term um, outlook. And it sounds like from what Eddie Jones has been saying in the media, talking about the smash and grab he wants to do for the World Cup, that he believes that. He's trying to kind of do sort of the Springbok 2019 type of game plan of we're not going to have really any ball. We're going to kick to opposition. We're going to put them in their half and put them under pressure, have them make mistakes, and then capitalize on the mistakes because we have special players like Korobete, um, Karevi, et cetera, et cetera, that can make something out of nothing, as we saw at least in one or two moments in the game on Saturday. And I mean, the the theory's fine. Uh, you know, I think that's probably the best way to win, you know, test matches in, in a short period of time when you have only so much time to prepare with your team. You know, as I think even Rassi has said, the quickest things you can teach a team is defense and like the heart and the commitment to be able to execute defensively and the kick chase game. But the execution was just way off on Saturday. So Rian Lowe was saying that, like, in his... Tala, his just, yeah, I'm sorry on. to interrupt you, but didn't Rassi say that it would take the side two and a bit years on defense? Didn't he say that that was the hardest? Yeah. No, he said attack is the hardest, didn't he? Hmm. 
I can't remember. I just I sorry I don't I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I'm I could be I'm wrong. I just maybe misunderstood it. Sorry, as you were. My apologies. Yeah, I was just going to say that Rianlo had this tweet in the first half. Australia kicked ten times. Only three out of ten of those kicks had chases that pressurized the South African um, receiver, and only one out of ten was shallow enough for the Australian chaser to actually compete in there. So that's sure. at least seven kicks that were pretty much going nowhere. And there's a lot of kicks, um, especially from White and from Reese Hodge, that just were way too deep. And I, that's probably also, and I think a big factor in talking about this game is, I think the Australians just didn't know how to handle the high felt. Like, I think no. in terms of their kicks being too long, in terms of, I think they almost gassed themselves um, after 20, 30 minutes. But Sean, I think that context that you gave that they're being put through the ringer this week <laughs> that explains a lot because they just looked absolutely done for yeah, and they yeah. were just not able to put any pressure on the spring box because if you're going to do a, a smashing grab type of game plan the main things that you need to do is to have an accurate kicking game and an accurate kick chase game and to be able to put pressure on a team um, when they don't when you don't have the ball and mm. look Moni Lubok will not have a bigger red carpet when he plays against a team, unless he's playing in Zebra in the URC. So it really, they really put zero pressure on the Springboks. And especially, well, they tried to in the first half, but by the second half, it was just an open road for, 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 the, for the South Africans. And it's going to be interesting to see how, if that changes on Saturday, and if he still sticks with this game plan, and if he doesn't, like what the changes are. Because as you said, Sean, I think this um, game on Saturday, he can either take it two ways. Like you said, maybe there are planned changes of, okay, let's see the rest of the squad. Let's see some of the players, you know, the McWrights, the Fakettis, those sort of players and see how they go. And then make a decision on the basis of, you know, 30 odd players playing the first two tests. And let's pick our 23 for the Bledisloe and the 23 that's going to go to the World Cup pretty much. Mm. Or is to the players that played on Saturday, every one of you basically has one last chance. <laughs> Impress or get out, pretty much. And then yeah. keep the same or same-ish team, have them play against the Pumas, and yeah, just base the selection on that and say, okay, you've had two chances, you need to go. Or you've had two chances, okay, you can stay, and then we're going to bring in now the players coming back from injury. Um, Taniela Tupo's playing now. Um, he's going to play for Australia A on Saturday, on Friday against Tonga. You have you know the likes of Angus Bell coming back, Jordan Pattaya, Andrew Kellaway. And then adding those, hopefully, to the players that do play well on Saturday. So, yeah, I'm very keen to see what he does with, with selection and game plan on Saturday. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I t the thing that I was most surprised about was the lack of White and Cooper in the game. Well, White was obviously in the game more, but Cooper was mm. not in the game not, a lot. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not a Quade Cooper thing. Quay Cooper, he needs a hands-on leather. Like that's how he plays. He wants you. He, he wants to touch the ball as much as possible. Very interesting. And that couldn't have been Quay Cooper hiding away, and it wasn't. I don't believe for a second that they like that was the case. There was the plan was there. Like were they planning on on sort of blitzing the box, um, and then. Uh, like in the first half and then hoping that it would open up and then 
you know, when you're close against a spring box, doesn't matter how tired you are, the adrenaline might keep you going. I don't know. It's very, very interesting. And interesting, again, what you say about like the squad and what's he doing. But Eddie Jones also, for me, strikes me as a kind of coach that puts everyone in really shitty, horrible places and sees the reaction. <laughs> Not like Farrell, who's like, oh, awesome. He has some discomfort. Like, you know, what chaos can, oh, is the plane delayed by three hours? Perfect. That's what my team needs. I think Eddie Jones is in a similar mindset, but he he's just the asshole there. Excuse me, for like he he plays that role like good cop, bad cop, but he's just the bad cop all the time, and he just puts people under pressure. Like, cool, you guys were shit. What are you going to do about it? Do more, do better, do this, and see who cracks under the pressure or who thrives under the pressure. Puts that team out on Saturday and says, right, like this is what I've learned about you and your character and you as a person. Let's sit down. Let's smooth over the edges, have a heart-to-heart, fix this, and attack the bladders like up. I mean, mm. could he could he be doing that? That's perfectly within his within his setup, you know? So I'm interested to see. Listen, Eddie Jones is famous for not giving two shits about what people think about him. And uh <laughs> this the coaching the wallabies is big and it's personal for him. And as much as he walks around saying he doesn't like he you feel like he doesn't care, he cares a lot. That's why he blew up like that. He yeah. cares. He cares about it. Um, he cares about what happened. It was embarrassing for him and the team, and that's not how he wants to be represented. I still feel that he's absolutely pissed at what happened uh, with England. Like his whole four years, five years, six years of work, you know, thrown down the toilet with England. He was busy setting them up, which he believes was to win the World Cup. So he's got to try and now replicate that. So I'm pretty sure like he's pretty acid about it, but he's he's got to... You know what I mean? Like he's got to break the backbone. He's got to change something because I was having a look at some of those results of the Wallabies of the last year and a bit. And they were really shit. <laughs> I didn't think they were that bad. They were crap. Um, so he's really up against it. Um, you know, so interesting times ahead. But I think he goes for the break, not break your spirit, but really put you under pressure and see how you react to it. Like who's going to, come out and just like say i'm gonna do the job or you know i'll change what i'm doing in order to for what's best for team i don't know any positives any players that at least had a performance they could be happy with on saturday for the wallabies (laughs) i don't know (laughs) it's just really crazy like we talk about this. I do want to. Sorry, I do want to chat about the Springboks again at the end of the story because I, I want to just my thoughts. I, I, we touched on it briefly before, but my thoughts on this setup. But no, I, there wasn't a player that stood out for me. I think the only positive that can come out of this, oof, this is harsh. The only positive that can come out of this is that Eddie Jones. It was his first test for the Wallabies, and he's only been there a short time. I think that is literally the only positive. He's got a plan, but you don't ever plan for for getting pumped like that. Um, mm. So I think that's the only positive. Yeah, it was. I don't think anyone stood out for me. Uh, no, 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 nobody. <laughs> Maybe you have someone yeah. and I can build on it, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say anyone had like a performance that you'd be like, okay. I mean, they if they're a world class player, they maintain that standard or 
you know, that was a great test for them. Like, you can say, I think the players that at least didn't, you know, hide or were then committed to the cause till the end were, um, although I, I think <laughs> this one comes with a bit of a caveat of it seemed like he was trying to do something to harm Kane and Moody, but Mariko Korobete was at least committed to trying something for the whole 80 minutes, if not, you know, chasing the kicks down or trying to murder Kanan Moody in every tackle or, you know, obviously how he finished the try in the first half and in the second, in the last minutes, he helped create the try for Carter Gordon. I think he could at least hold his head high. And look, Corbett is not maybe the most good technical, the most technical wing in the world. He has his faults, but in terms of commitment, <laughs> I don't think there's more that are more committed than he is. Like he's absolutely going to give you his all in for 80 minutes. So I think he's one of the players I can take but some you know, credit for it. Yeah. You know, the thing about, about him, um, he's just so, you're so correct. He's just so committed and he is so pumped to do it and do it well. And whatever he does, he does full blast. And mm. that unfortunately puts him in compromising positions. So it is almost like a technique thing, but he, if you've got, if his options are slow down and and make a decent tackle or go full blast and blow him off off the screen, like he's going with the full blast, like he, he he's like a like he's like a like a toddler. Toddler toddlers only have two speeds: they have still and full speed. Like and that's what he that's what he's like. Like he's nonstop. Like he's he's a big human, and he he when he runs, he runs like full tilt, and he hits you hard. Like that, the collision on Mapimpi last year. Um, I, I still believe that that's a yellow card, which would essentially resulted in a penalty try. But like the thing on Kenan Moody, he does stuff, and it's the thing is, it's the, you can't do, you can't factor in whether he's malicious or not. But that thing he did on Kenan Moody was not malicious. Like he was just going full ball, bending down to make a tackle, and Moody was in another place, and he just couldn't change. Like almost like close your eyes and just go hard. So it's challenging. It'll it'll end up in trouble though. That's the that's the thing. Like he does things so fast and so hard. Like when he gets them wrong, like people get hurt, and that's 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 a big issue. The thing is, when he gets it right, it's flipping epic, man. You know. So yeah. Sorry for interrupting you. No, I mean the. I think a good contrast to that is looking at his um, wing partner on Saturday, Sulivunibalu, who. <laughs> Pretty much the, the opposite of everything that you just said now. <laughs> yes. I, I, I Look, you sometimes, look, I obviously more often than not, more than more often than not, 90% of the time, coaches are right. More, and coaches more are than more good often. At, <laughs> coaches are really good at their jobs and coaches know more rugby than, have forgotten more rugby than I'll ever know. So I know someone like Eddie Jones is great, but oh my God. Goodness, why would he pick Sunivunivalu, who's not had a good game, barely had a good game in, in the Super Rugby, never mind in the Australian level? Like, what does he see? Is it just he's a rugby league player, so he must be good? Is that sort of the, the maths that's happening there? Like, is he seeing a, a young Loti Tikiri? Like, what is he seeing? Because it, he doesn't even like, when he gets the ball, he doesn't, it doesn't even look like he breaks that many tackles or gets around people. Like, he looks like, oh, 
do I have to run now? Okay, let me try run. He did have one little run where he did get around um, Dwayne and, and Peter Steph, but it only made a few meters. And then everything else, he's just just doesn't have the rugby sense to put himself in good positions. And that's where he gets the yellow card and the penalty try. That's where he concedes a penalty for bumping into Dwayne as he's jumping for the kick. Like, he barely put himself in any position of pressuring Kirtley Orenson. I mean, Kirtley Orenson maybe in some ways will be looking back at this game and saying, yes, I could have got four, five, six tries against this winger. Like, I just don't see it. I don't understand it. Like, him and... I think there's basically three, four players that I think hopefully we don't see too much of them, at least in these positions. Vunivalu as, as a player, Reese Hodge at 12, I think he was just not good. I think it's just, it's almost the opposite of the Jordi Barrett effect when you're like, okay, this gives puts him in the game as much, probably not the best for Reese. Maybe he should be playing at fullback. And his kicking was just off. And I don't know, has he ever landed a, a big um, long distance penalty? It just seems like all of them you have the hype, you're like, oh, Resarge might do something, then he misses. And then, unfortunately, the props, I mean, they were on a hiding to nothing, Gibbon and um, Nongo. Like, Nongo, that was his debut. And, yeah, he tried to do his thing. But, yeah, I think those players, oh, yeah, and Jordan Ulisi, I, I also a player that I'm not sure, like, why, yeah, why he was selected, because Australia has at least three or four hookers that are better than him. But, yeah, yeah. I think... Everyone else, I think, at least deserves another chance. I mean, I see there's a lot of talk about dropping Michael Hooper. I don't understand it. Like, he was top for tackles. He was... The reason why he was getting bounced by this, the big Springbok runners was he was the one that was fronting up. Everyone else was... I think there's a part in the game where some of the strengths were hiding a little bit. And, yeah, that's... I don't say that lightly. I, I'm saying that because there's... Yeah, there was just some players that did stand up to the to the game and some players that saw that this game was too hard. And Hooper was actually one of the players that, that was standing up. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the Wallabies do. But yeah, Sean, is this Argentina game, I think, now becomes vital. Like, this is probably make or break for some of the players, probably some of their World Cup hopes. Like, this is kind of the... Alan Wynne-Jones, Justin Tiprick line that Warren Gatlin drew for, for those players. Like, mm. if maybe, if, if maybe A.D. Jones thinks that Hooper maybe isn't the player for the World Cup, this is the game that he needs to play in and play well in order for him to secure a spot. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think the game is make or break, and it's not for, for Eddie Jones. It's for the individuals that be, will be part of Eddie Jones's team. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. There's the people that are, there's the, everyone has to up their game. If everyone gives 10% more, um, you know, maybe, maybe hoops can't give 10% more because I also, he didn't look out of place um, on, on Saturday, but he looked less, well, he looked out of place on Saturday, but he was less out of place than everyone else. Because literally if, 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 the Sunday Morning Herald or whatever, the whichever the top m newspapers in Australia, um, <clears throat> if they pushed out uh, player ratings and gave everyone one, you wouldn't, you couldn't argue that, you know. Maybe Hooper will get two, but everyone else gets one because he was the the, the less shit of the shit. So it really was poor, um, and no one really said to Eddie Jones, "Listen, I'm going to be your guy." 
you know. So interesting things will happen. Very interesting things. Um, this is going to be a, a, a thrilling little sub sub story, subtext of what is going going to happen leading up to the World Cup. This Eddie Jones situation, you know, like it's going to be brilliant because this is not the last that he makes uh, like comments and the way he does because that's just the way Eddie Jones is, and it's not the last time that Australia are going to take a hiding. I don't think either. And what did you think about Carter, Gold- Carter-, Carter Gordon's um, swan dive for his try on debut? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and there'll be all those people going, oh, mate, why are you celebrating? You just got freaking hiding of your life. Guys on spring, uh, guys on, on Wallaby debut away from home run 60-odd meters. Like, what a try. I don't think <laughs> anyone's talking about that try enough because, like, everything was so shit. But... Yeah, like if he, I mean, if he gave it the whole big like, like Ronaldo stance or like the Black Panther <laughs> vibe or superhero landing at the end, like shit, man, I would have been all for it. Here's your mullet in flowing, like flowing for everyone to see. It's not like it was like a little run, like he got everything flowing at full tilt mm-hmm. as he went off to score. I mean, imagine seeing the field open up like that and you're like, oh, there's nobody here. I got this. Oh, brilliant. Love it. Go, go, go hard, my man. Go hard. And yeah, I think let's put a pin on the Springbok Wallaby talk and let's just look at the other match that happened in the rugby championship and that's the All Blacks yeah, thrashing the the Pumas. Um, 40, that is 41 points to 12, which means the Springboks are on top of the rugby championship log on points difference by, I think, three points. Sorry, two points. They're, they're ahead of the All Blacks now. And yeah, Sean, I thought, and especially, you know, looking at the New Zealand team and, you know, seeing the Pumas and obviously the Pumas have a good record against New Zealand the last few years and seeing the All Blacks pull out Tapo Pango, you know, just like, okay, this is going to be a great game. It's going to be a classic um, away from home for Argentina. I'm at least expecting Argentina to run them close. And then uh, New Zealand scores three quick tries in the first like 15 minutes and yeah. That was the end of the contest there. Like, maybe let's just focus first on the Puma side of things. Like, yeah, this is, I think, the the issue with the Pumas. And this has preceded even um, uh, Michael Checker. Like, there's games where they look like, oh, this could be one of the best teams in the world if one or two, three, three things go right. And then there's games you're just like, what happened to that team that was good like a few weeks ago? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing to try and follow and to try and decide whether this team is good or not good, or is it going to be one of the you know the best of the rest, especially in that um, weaker side of the of the rugby world cup pools. Yeah, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, to me, it's probably the the Argentinians always always perform at a World Cup, and the reason for that in my humble opinion, is because they get to spend so much time together. So historically, they've literally been scattered all over the world. And by scattered, I mean they're in France. <laughs> and, um, and you know, France and England. And then they, they bring everyone together and it's a mix and match. And it's almost like as introductions for the first time for half the players. And um, they get together, they do their thing. They're really passionate. They want to, like, go mad every single time there's an anthem. 
um, yeah, and they love playing at home and they're just a uh, heart and sleeve kind of a nation. And they get better by spending time together. And wow, it was, could never be more evident than on Saturday. Um, if you think about how, um, how Argentina were playing when the Jaguares were in Super Rugby, like was, which is basically the, the, the Argentinian side, they were really crappy and then they got a little bit better. Like they need that continuity. So um, the other thing is they love playing away from home as well. So the Aussies must be aware because they're coming through both a, a wounded Wallaby side and a wounded Pumas side. It's going to be a very interesting clash. And obviously the two Aussie head coaches. I mean, what could be better? Um, but yeah, sheesh, they were they unraveled. Um, they, we, I, I thought that, you know that, um, you, you know that 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 togetherness, that like bounce back ability uh, that mm. the the Argentinians have uh, or, or or create. They, um, they, this is the old Argentinians, like the ones that like when they drop their head, like they're going to take 60, which they did. Yeah. But they, they, they were f- sort of forging and forcing that bounce back ability where they were able to like, where Agustin Creevy could come in and just slap a few people around and say, listen, pull yourselves together. We're playing, you know, we're playing for our country here. And then they kind of fight it back, but that didn't happen. And, uh, one thing that I do believe is that they will just get better week on week. You know, they're going to be together now yeah. for, for, the, for the next 60 days before the World Cup. Like, they will be in a better space. It's either that or it's completely the flip side where everyone's just thrown <laughs> everything Chakers said. Like, anything that they've built over the last two or three years has just gone to shit. And they're just going to be like, screw you. We're going to just do whatever we want. Look, yeah, I think... And this is what I think the Squid Rugby video this week, he was looking at the Argentinian team and he was saying that checker teams usually after 18 months start <laughs> tanking. And yeah, <laughs> they're on month 16 at the moment. So that also something to watch out for. Oh, so just this, the, the kickoff of the World Cup. <laughs> and, or, I think it's 17 at the World Cup. So I might have the numbers wrong, but it is oh, getting wow. very close to 18. So it could be that maybe this is the beginning of the end, but I'm hoping at least for their sakes that it isn't. I think that I think there's two main at least team issues here. Nine to thirteen is just not yeah where it should be considering all the talent around the the back line. Like I think Bertrano, I mean he's fine, but he's not a good nine. Um, the whole career is thing at I'm 10, such a massive fan. He, look, he's. I mean, he was good. He's not, Sorry, he, yeah, he's, he's not, he, not he bad. He was before that injury, yeah. Mm, yeah, so he's mm. not bad, and Kubeli isn't the same player that he was. But now there's my guy. There's my yeah. guy. You can you can pick one to hate. You can't hate them both. But I would. You must. Kubeli's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but is it? You know, is it at the same level as what other countries can produce? Maybe not. And then the Santi Carreras thing at ten. Yeah, I'm still not 100% sure about it. Like, it's still, and I mean, Sanchez isn't anywhere near his old form, and it still doesn't feel like he can get the team going for whatever reason. But it might not even be that, be, that might not even be the real issue. The midfield's also not great. Like, especially on Saturday, Cynthia and Moroni were getting run to, like, smithereens by Jordi Barrett and Sean's favorite outside center, Rico Ioni. 
And that was Dude, just you know, if if you <laughs> if you're making Rico Yoni look good, that's probably when you have to know self-assess and to really consider if you know the midfield is the right place for you so they need to fix nine to 13 and their front row was just getting beasted there by um the the Groot and and Coles and Lomax um they picked um Lucio Sordoni um great mullet he scored a try on on, on Saturday as well um I think he plays for Glasgow Warriors if I'm not mistaken um Oof, but yeah, but he was he just wasn't good enough against De Groot. And I'm trying to think now, is De Groot maybe a better scrummager than I thought, or Sordoni not as good? I think they'll have to keep to trying to pick um between um Thomas Gallo, as we know he's really good and he's great around the field. Um someone like um Slavi from um that place for La Rochelle, the massive tight head that they have, and then picking those um two uh Older props, um, Tetis Chaparro and Gomez Cadella, like keep to those four because it does seem like Argentina doesn't really have that much depth up front than they obviously used to. Anyone else seems like to be a bit of a risk. But yeah, like you have players like Buffelli and he was quite good. I think the loose forwards were really good considering, you know, what they had to do. I think Matera, Gonzalez, and um and Bruni really had a good game. So it's just if they can fix up front and the inside backs, I think they've got something. And you're right, Sean. This is basically two to three months of them being together, so they'll hopefully improve. So, yeah, maybe they're not good now, and then in the World Cup they have a not a not a not a difficult group, or sorry, not the most difficult group, but a group that's easy enough that they can build momentum against you know England and Japan and, and Samoa. But yeah, you can also see it going the other way where they just get really so bad that Japan gets over them and England gets over them, maybe even Samoa. And now they're out of the World Cup at the group stage. So Argentina has a bit of a crossroads here. Like they need to pick well. They'd get Chocobaris in the team, at least in my opinion. I was just going to say that he has to start. (laughs) Yeah. So either it's a semifinal run that's basically open for them or it really could be like a crashing out of the group stages. So hopefully this result is just the lowest point and then they can build up from there. Yeah. I, you, you took a words out of my mouth. Like to fix that midfield, the thing is, is the guys that, I mean, the guys that played uh, have played or played together and played before. <laughs> so it was yeah, it was weird. It was weird. But I, if there was a change I'd made, I'd definitely put Chocobaras in, in the field, uh, starting lineup. Um, just to uh, change things up, he's in great form, you know. Uh, but anyway, let's see. It's, uh, it's a strange one. It's one of those ones that uh, I think it's really hard to put your finger on exactly how to fix them. <laughs> mm. um, it's, uh, it's quite a strange one. Um, but... Yeah, let's see what Saturday. Saturday, that that game has taken on a whole new a whole new light now, mm, because mm, everyone mm. was always focused on the All Black Springbok game. It was always going to be the focus, and uh, uh, the, the results this weekend we expected so they expected South Africa to win, and we didn't know what Eddie Jones was going to bring, but they didn't expect that result. And like to be honest, everyone expected New Zealand to win just because of their history, but the Argentinians like they've 
beaten New Zealand twice in the last two years or three years. Like mm. it could have gone the other way. Like for for the Aussies and and the Pumas to take such a hiding, this game on Saturday takes a whole new meaning. Really looking forward to it, actually. And let's look at the all black side of things. I mean, yeah, during the week, I think we were messaging each other, just being like, what the hell is Foster doing? <laughs> and I think he's, it looks like from what people are saying, he was resting or maybe just choosing not to play the likes of Tokiaho and Retalic that had obviously a big shift um, in the Super Rugby. And he did try to try a few things. He put Damien McKenzie at 10, Dan Coles is in hooker, Josh Lord played at lock, and he doesn't even start for the Chiefs usually. And he saw, you know, what, what they could do. He had Eroni, oh, Emoni Narawa also um, play debut at wing and went pretty well. I think most things connected. And yeah, I mean, there's a, we did as our first phase a few, like just hearing hot takes from the weekend. And my hot take, at least concerning the New Zealanders, is maybe Foster actually might be right about the 10, 12, 15 and having them all as playmakers. Maybe that's actually the way to go for them. You know, you have three decision makers in the team. You have three people that are able to connect the back line and to get the attack going. And as we saw in the try that David McKenzie scored, I mean, that Bowden Barrett scored off the David McKenzie loop um, from Jordy Barrett. Like, that's the, you know, that's the magic that they can produce together. Like, you know, they're all good passers. They're all good distributors. They're all really good with the ball as well. Like, that is lethal um, for the All Blacks to have. And they can connect with, obviously, all the dangerous outside backs um, that they have. And New Zealand at least showed on Saturday, if nothing else, that you give them half a sniff, <laughs> you're going to be behind your post. So, yeah, we'll see on Saturday. That's going to be, obviously, the acid test for both teams. And it'll be interesting to see how <laughs> how New Zealand goes, especially after the. You know, they did play, this was probably the turning point for them this time last year. They were in South Africa for those two games, um, the two tests in the rugby championship. South Africa absolutely thrashed them in the test in Bombella. And then they moved to Ellis Park. It was pretty much do or die for Ian Foster. Um, you know, Scott Robertson was probably preparing his passport to join the team. And then they produced a performance where they really fought hard and they won against the Springboks. And from there, the results have been a lot more positive, but there has been a few moments where they've looked a bit soft. Now, the question is, are the All Blacks, you know, are the All Blacks, a lot, I think the All Blacks are a lot more solid team than they were last year. Like, middle of last year with the Irish series and with the Springbok um, loss in the first test, it was just basically, if you could just stand up to the All Blacks, they'll go away. But now they have a lot more fight. They're a lot more aggressive in, on defense. They a lot better in the set piece. Um, picking um, De Groot and Lomax helps. Their locks are getting back into form. Um, White Lock and Talek and Scott Barrett. The question was, okay, they've sorted that out. They've got the defense. They've got the set piece. Now it's just like, okay, if you, you need to do a lot more to shake their cage. And we saw last year with England and with Australia, with Japan even, that they did have comebacks and they did put them in tough positions. And they won some of those games. They drew one the game against England. So now the question will be, you're facing one of the top four teams again for the first time in a year. Like, does your new approach and the 10-12-15 and Jordi at 12 and Rico at 13, does that stand to the test or does that buckle when there's pressure? 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with, with Buckle. Um, <laughs> Unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was, I was thinking that going, oh, this is such a Sean answer. Everyone knows what I'm going to do. I'm that predictable. I don't know. Maybe that's a little unfair. They don't, I don't think they will buckle. I do think that they will unravel a little bit. And whether they can pull that back and not buckle is probably the biggest thing. And it'll come with some pressure. The, this is the best thing that could have happened on Saturday, um, that they could have done that. Like they're a confidence team. And if yeah. you can, if you sit back and just let them do, let the All Blacks do what they want, then you must remember they're all like, they all play under the same structures. Like every team, like the foundations of New Zealand rugby are coached exactly the same all through the age groups and, and through all the different NPCs and, and all that. And then they have different other angles that they look at. But the basics of what everyone does is all the same. So even if they were like a mix and match team, excuse, like with respect, like they, you know, there was quite a few changes there, then they do that, then they know exactly what's happening. And when you give them the run of the, like the run of the green, then they can just, they're going to go mad and they can just dish it out like they did. So yeah. Uh, interesting when they get put under pressure though, this weekend's going to be epic. And I'm interested, like, I think the Springbok's going to kick a lot and be abrasive up front but maybe we're gonna unravel something else or maybe the all blacks we're gonna double bluff them you know i don't know but it's gonna be fun we'll we'll get the answer this weekend though that's one thing i'm sure about yeah i think it's interesting that both teams are kind of in a place where they've adapted their game plan a lot since the the last time they faced each other which is a contrast to maybe Ireland and France. Ireland and France know how they're going to play. They pretty much play the same way. They've played the same way the last four years. Box are starting to be a bit more, be a bit more attacking. New Zealand's like, let's just go for broke <laughs> in that respect. So it's going to be interesting to see how this game plan goes against each other because, I mean, the Springboks have been, you know, tested, I think, a lot more in the recent test matches. They played um, France and Ireland, whereas New Zealand had you know, not the hardest test in the world. And let's see how I think both teams go. So are the Springboks going to be a, a lot as, you know, going out wide and, and playing the ball a lot more like they did on, on Saturday? Let's see. And how will New Zealand do with, you know, the configuration of their team? Let's see. Hopefully they do a lot better than what Sam Kane was trying to do to that kid that invaded the pitch. Did you see that, Sean? Sheesh, yo. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I Play was stupid shocked. games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> look yeah i'm not a <laughs> i i say i'm one of those look you get what you deserve if you go onto the field especially with professional you know athletes on the field but not the best technique from sam sam kane in that kick so i hope he never has to kick a ball there for the all blacks i'm sorry but it's so damn out of character <laughs> <laughs> that as well like he doesn't strike me as like it like it was dan coles i'd understand like, because I just think he's, that's how he is. Like, I just think he's a shithead. But Sam Kane's not. Like, every day, so nice, nicely well-spoken. He's He thinks everything out. And then he just looks and sees some kid. He's like, ah, oh, I'm just going to whack you, boss. Anyway, <laughs> crazy. No, I think he was following up from Richie McCall when he took out that... Um... That pitch yep. invader and that it's, test in 2005. I know, it's the, the spring, uh, all-black captaincy bingo card. Have you saved someone <laughs> from a from a streaker? Yes. Boom. Done. 
And then finally, just re- quickly wrapping up on some um, news around the world. We have the final for the under-20s um, Junior World Cup. Um, South Africa was brave, but Ireland was just too skillful. And I think France and England, a pretty similar storyline, and France was just brilliant. And shout out to the Irish team and they them winning with all the loss that they've had in the last few days. So Ireland and France is a big final. I think that'll be really good. Big surprising news here is Scott, um, sorry, Stuart Hogg. I know you call him Scott Hogg. Stuart Hogg retiring from international rugby with immediate effect. So that means he won't be at the Rugby World Cup. What are your thoughts about that, Sean? It's crazy. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Um, I really, I, it's bizarre. And you know what the thing is, is he didn't just retire from test rugby. He retired from all rugby. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, what the hell happened? Was he, was he, did he step out of line in the Scotland camp? Um, and they just said, screw you, I'm out of here. Like, I don't need the shit in my life. Or did he, has he been thinking about it? Or was he told he's not part of the Scottish plans? But I, I find it so odd that he's, he's just like, he, he literally just straight up said, that's it, I'm done with rugby. Um, you know, we've seen a couple of these international players say they're, they're done with the international game and there's a number of reasons behind it. But like, He's not that old and he's pretty good. Um, like not even a, a quick stint in Japan. What? I don't know. That's your, I was shocked and random, man. Eh? Random Sunday. Happy Sunday, mm. by the way. What is going on with these Northern hemisphere teams and big players retiring? So shake up. I mean, say. Is Antoine Dupont retiring? Like is Owen Farrell retiring? Like what, what should we expect from these teams now? Like there's, I don't know, maybe Gregor Townsend is just doing the whole survivor thing that Warren Gatlin's doing. Like, we just need to keep our eyes out for that and see what's going on. <laughs> because it seems yeah. like all these, all these teams are losing players. I Big think it's great news for Blake King one, by the way. Yes, it is, actually. That's, like, perfect for them. But, uh, 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 oh, oof, man. Funny, uh, funny, funny that that happens straight after um, McKenzie has a game at 10 for... For New Zealand, I mean, Mackenzie being a 15 retreaded into a 10 mm-hmm. or vice versa or whatever, but Kingorn's stocks just rose. But I think a lot of uh, a lot of the United Kingdom and Ireland teams of players are doing that because they may be hoping for a quick little uh, Rugby World Cup joker contract in France, the top 14. Mm. Be in France, like Alan Wynne Jones. Alan Wynne Jones signing for Toulon. There's loads of loads of uh, medical jokers happening at the moment, so. Happy days. Happy days. Yeah. Very quick, um, before the teams come out, Box New Zealand prediction? Oh, don't. Don't. <laughs> oh, man. I well, say the Springbox one. Springbox one. Ooh, okay. Then perfect. I'll save it. I'm hoping, and we're all don't hoping. Don't you, de- you a- better answer that question. You made me. <laughs> Look, just for our listeners getting to this end of the pod, we are hoping to have another podcast later this week to really preview the a quick preview of the game with the two teams coming out. So hopefully that comes out later in the week. But at least for now, uh, yeah, I'm going to go New Zealand by the smallest of margins. Um, but let's see how the teams look um, after Wednesday and Thursday. And that wraps up this week's episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please feel free to go and follow us on all the social media channels you can find and uh, we will be back for more 
hopefully a little later this week when we preview round two of the rugby championship and we will definitely be back next week to have a look at how the results in the games went have a great week bye